Yeah. I mean, and also it's kind of funny because, you know, Olivia is one of these characters where she's the great antagonist. And mm-hmm. yet when you start an episode where she's so she's being questioned and she's feeling such a lack of confidence that it's like when she puts her evil master plan finally all together, you're like, yes, you did it. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> wait, <laughs> I'm not rooting for it's you. So Shit. <laughs> Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. Rewatch podcast means we've seen the story in its entirety, beginning to the end and back again. So we are here to spoil early, often, always. We're back. Yeah, we're back. It's 2020. We first saw 2020 on the show in Lullaby, episode 208. You should watch that. Let's hope that your year is partially like that and partially very much not. <laughs> Let's hope we avoid the apocalypse that seems like that it's coming. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. This is Beep. You can find me at Beepsplain on Twitter sometimes, sometimes not, but it's always me. <laughs> I am... I am joined, as always, by the lovely Cece. Hey, guys. You can find me on Twitter um, at a capital check. And we have the ladies from May We Geek Again back today. Hello. Hi. Hey, remind everyone who you guys are. Oh, you go first. (laughs) Uh, I'm Bubbles of Love, or just Bubs. (laughs) Um, And that's what I am on Twitter. Um, Yeah, Joe. Great intro. Um, I'm Joe. Uh, you can find us at May We Geek Again uh, on Twitter and uh, SoundCloud um, if you want to, I guess, expand into other uh, sci-fi TV shows. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. We're doing humans right now. We are doing humans right now. Uh, at some point, we'll get back to the next season of The Expanse. And then, uh, obviously, our, you know, OG coverage of The 100 and... Fuck, I don't know, possibly some other shows in the future, right, Cece? Yeah, well, I'm excited that you guys are on for this one, because I feel like we have spent, you know, on the times I've been on Maybe Geek Again with you guys, we spend a lot of time trying to guess at, like, big mythology reveals on other sci-fi shows. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't always work out <laughs> as well as it did on 12 Monkeys. And so this is like a huge mythology reveal episode. And Joe is like the number one Olivia stan. And so I'm just so happy you guys um, could come on. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping so the really fun news that developed sort of over the break um, since our last podcast is that Terry Metalis is going back to his Star Trek roots and taking over a showrunner, um, I guess, beginning in season two for Star Trek Picard. And then just later this week, it was announced that um, Christopher Monfet is going to be joining. And so like, in my little geek head, I was like, it's like, it's like Terry Metalis is Tony Stark. And he's like, what if I told you I was assembling a team? <laughs> and it's like bringing back all of the Avengers of genre TV. Um, I would love like, let's maybe we can all talk about about Picard on Maybe Geek Again. That would be yeah. really fun. Yeah. Yeah, because we are running out of sci-fi TV shows, and apparently uh, we do not get to cancel our SoundCloud and uh, cast accounts um, <laughs> and go about our lives. So I guess we're going to keep this whole podcast thing going. 
Exactly. Um, Okay, so just a quick icebreaker so everyone can get to know you guys. We all took a break over the holidays. What is the best thing that you binged or saw um, over the holidays? I didn't watch a lot of TV, so this is easy. Um, I was with my parents, so we did not watch a lot of television. Um, But I did finish watching In with an E. And I don't know why I was so resistant to watching it, but I was. Um... (laughs) I freaking loved it. Um, the girl's so so annoying at first, and I was just like, God, how do people watch this show? But I just I kept watching it, and she just wins you over so hard, and it's just such a sweet show. Um, so I completely recommend it if anybody wants like a heartwarming orphan story, which actually has like a pretty good romance baked into it. Um, it got canceled, which is super sad. Um, but otherwise, it's a great show and worth watching. Did you contribute to the billboard that they put up to try and convince Netflix? I didn't know. I didn't know about it. I totally would have, though. So, well, fingers crossed. (laughs) Joe, how about you? Uh, God, all we did was watch TV um, because uh, in December I flew to New York and fell down a flight of stairs at my Airbnb and broke my (laughs) toe. And then four four days later, uh, my girlfriend was at the gym and rolled her ankle and broke her foot. Um, so we, we were very much, um, oh, and then, and then like two or three weeks ago, right before New Year's, I like completely blew out my back and like couldn't walk. So we spent a lot of time watching TV. I actually had to be like, what the fuck did we even watch? Um, because we just like marathon through stuff, but some quick hits, uh, would certainly be obviously the Mandalorian. Yes. Um, Great. Like, uh, I think the best part about that was, uh, Baby Yoda. Well, like that, that like, I don't even know if you can like include that in the thing. Like that is, that is its own, like, it's in its own tier. But like, it had like a very like old school Star Wars vibe in in, in the way that it was shot and sort of the special effects, like a really good mix of practical effects. It was a very kind of slow story, like very episodic, but um, wonder, like great, like just really, really nice, really beautiful. Uh, The Witcher. Um, which, <laughs> Cece, you've just started, I, I, without giving any sort of spoilers or whatever, it's kind of like, you can tell that they wanted to make a really serious fantasy show, like, they wanted to be- Did fun. they? They wanted to be, you could tell, like, that they wanted to be Game of Thrones, but they kind of just ended up making, like, a really big budget, like, Xena or Legend of the Seeker, which I don't have a problem with, like, it's cheesy, it's funny, um, it's, there's a lot of boobs- um, <laughs> there are a lot of for, boobs. for better or worse. Like I feel like there are so there are so many boobs that like I hope they sort of course correct in season two and maybe well there was a little bit of male nudity now that I think about it. it not like, a penis though. Huh? You know, there I was, was not there was like a naked penis. old guy at one point. Oh, that you just got me excited. And now, I know, like, I know. That's that's like, wow, <laughs> equality. Um, so anyway, so The Witcher Sexual. is some good, like, adult, funny fantasy. And then uh, The Watchmen, which um, unfortunately didn't get renewed, but I, I think that they did a really good job sort of wrapping up the story, um, which, uh, you know, I, I liked it as a, not really an adaptation, sort of like a continuation of the story. Um, and that, that, was, that was really That didn't well get renewed? Done. No. no, no, it actually got canceled. Yeah. Well, but Damon Lindhoff wasn't going to come back. Yeah, like he kind of. So I think HBO was kind of like, and they ended it in a in a way that like you're like, well, okay, fine. Like, give me in typical you know Lindhoff fashion. It was you know determine your own ending. I was like. <sighs> Uh, but that was that was really good Um, we watched so much other stuff but those are sort of the the three that i like actually remembered beep how about you um i just got done watching you and it was one of the creepiest things i have ever seen she's liking it how did how did you feel about it 
Um, it was kind of one of those things where I don't, I don't know. It's it's very Dexter esque, mm-hmm. except even from the beginning. Like even though this guy has like justification for all all of his actions, like you can see that it's ridiculous, mm-hmm. and yet somehow you still side with him. Like. <laughs> Kind of, you know what I mean? It's very much like you do feel for him and you, but of course you feel for everyone involved because like, it's like the psycho stalking, like, let me protect you from yourself kind of thing. And I don't know, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And I was saying on, um, on Twitter the other day that because I'm a single woman who lives alone, I would theoretically be something that should scare the shit out of me. But if someone's going to kill people in my life, they don't think should be there like, because they're going to harm me, then the right people aren't being killed. So I think I'm fine. <laughs> you're doing a bad job. Yeah. Like, you like your you're, uh, like, <laughs> you're not very good at stalking. <laughs> so um, I'm fine for right now. <laughs> the other thing that I randomly watched that I had not heard anything about, and I don't even really have any idea why it popped up, is Dracula. Oh, and oh the new yeah. BBC one? Yeah, there's a well, there's a new one on um, Netflix, like a oh, new okay. new one. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it I think it's Netflix for us, but BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's three episodes, an hour and a half each. So it's based, and it really is like three movies. Whoa. They kind of stand alone. And I just sat down. At, Are the vampires sexy? Um, I mean, really, he's the only one. Oh. Uh, kind wait, of. Did he have like Bacchus or whatever? Anyway, sorry. Does he get naked? The do, uh, do any guys get naked? Yeah. Is there peen? I- I don't remember. I don't think so. so I'm going to go with no, because you would remember. <laughs> um, But it was so weird. Like, I had not even heard of it, and I just started it, and I literally sat down a Saturday and got up, you know, five and a half hours later, and I was like, oh, this is over. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it was one of those things, like, I don't even know if I liked it, but I couldn't stop watching it. So... I mean, take that for what it is. It was a great, you know, you said five and a half hours, I think. I get it. I mean, I watched all the Dollinger series. I watched all the Dollinger series on, um, is that what it's called? On um, Lifetime. And I was like, why? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I get it. I think this is probably more like of an intriguing pull than what you're talking Um, about. But yeah, I was at the end of each episode, I'm like, do I like this? And it's like, are you still watching? Like, Duh, of course I am. <laughs> so there we are with that. Um, I we I completed my um, all of my beep and um, Amy assigned television Marvel television assignments <laughs> of watching Agent Carter and Agents of Shield, and um, so proud. I know. I'm. I've like. I've done it. I've now watched the com- complete MCU. Finally. Um, I know. But um, we loved, loved Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, I feel like not a lot of people talk about that show. And it basically did everything that The 100 wanted to do, but much, much better. <laughs> like, it is just a really, really inventive I mean, you think that it's kind of going to be this, like, you know, spy and superpower story, and it is, but then all of a sudden, it, like, starts trying, it's like, you've got space, a post-apocalypse, time travel, monsters, AIs, <laughs> virtual reality, it's like everything where it's, it's like a new theme each season, just like The 100 did, except they actually remember their characters, and it, like, has a surprising amount of feels, and, like, I, I would watch, just to bring it back to 12 Monkeys, the 
the show that we're doing this podcast about. Um, I would I would watch a show of Agent Coulson and and Agent Gale just like sitting and drinking whiskey and being like fucking time travel man like <laughs> i really like they are the most two most like charming every man and i would like i would just like watch a show with the two of them so agents of shield is super fun if you haven't watched um and i think there's one more season left that's coming this summer right Be- that is correct that's going to be i'm terrified I am too, <laughs> but I believe I I believe in these writers. Oh I think shit! They're gonna, yeah, we also at least I did. We also binged the new season of The Expanse. Like, I, I, how did I even just leave that off the <laughs> fucking list? Sorry, The Expanse. Everyone should watch that if you haven't already. Yeah, we have to get back on that. Oh wait, you haven't watched the new season? Oh well, then I guess not everyone has binged it. Fine. No, I, I haven't finished either. <laughs> oh well, what the, never mind. It's one thing at a time. Christ. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So today we are discussing 12 Monkeys and um, it's episode 403 um, entitled 45 RPM. It was written by Sean Tretta, Bubs' holy patron saint of the Red Forest. <laughs> and Reese's Peanut Butter Cups Forever, Bubs. Yeah, um, and it was directed by Christopher Byrne. And I, I, at first I was like, oh, this is the first episode he's directed. And then you go look on IMDb and he was the second unit director on like over 30 12 Monkeys episodes. Um, and he also on Hannibal, um, which I know some folks on here have watched as like a visually beautiful show, um, as well as American mm-hmm. Gods. And I went back and one of the podcasts that Terry Metellus was on, he explained that it was Christopher Byrne who came up with sort of the like visual design for the Red Forest T visions. Mm. Um, and th- I think this episode is really visually, it's really visually interesting. Like I f- love this, the opening montage um, for this episode so much, like with mm-hmm. the fingerprinting and cleaning the gun and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, so yeah, he, but I guess he is the lead director um, on this episode. So before we kind of jump in, Scene by scene, um, I want to talk about some big picture themes. One of them we already mentioned is like, this is, this is like the great cycle episode. This is the huge mythology payoff. Um, do you guys sort of have any big thoughts, like big picture thoughts, just sort of like how many different things that they paid off and answered while also then asking a whole other list of new questions? I think it was really satisfying to see Olivia uncertain about what she was supposed to do, and that all come to a head here. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so I guess I wasn't expecting it to be – because I I mean, I've obviously seen the whole series before, but I rewatched um again um, to prepare for this, and I forgot about that. Like, I forgot that it was such a revealing episode, and I like that it builds – like, it's a surprise that you, you aren't expecting, which I think this show does really well in terms of how it sets up their twists. Um it's not like you know that you're waiting for the twist. It just happens. So it's like an extra surprise. Yeah. I mean, and also it's kind of funny because, you know, Olivia is one of these characters where she's the great antagonist. And mm-hmm. yet when you start an episode where she's so – she's being questioned and she's feeling such a lack of confidence that it's like when she puts her evil master plan finally all together, you're like, yes, you did it. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'm not rooting for you, shit. (laughs) You know? (laughs) No, it is true. There are moments where I was definitely like, 
I was like, yes. And then I was just like, wait, no, 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 wait. Is is she good now? Is no, 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 she's not. You've seen this before. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yes. Abandon that baby. You did it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, they, so like if you just go through kind of some of the series long questions that this answers, like going back all the way is like, how was the witness ever appearing to them? Right? Like, because if you ended, once you ended season three and you learned that Olivia was the witness, but we also knew that Olivia wasn't primary. So sort of that question, think about all of the times, um, particularly like in season two, where the, where the witness was taking over Cassie's body and meltdown. Bubs, you did that, um, episode with us, mm-hmm. um, or appearing to her, to Cassie, um, and like the whole Sam, um, like, being splintered away and all this, like it answers, it answers how she was doing it. It, it answers part of what it lets us know something else that Titan can do. Um, while also setting up sort of the third purpose of Titan, um, with baby Emma. Um, it answers what that riddle, um, that Cole heard from his mother was for. It tells us what that Ouroboros object is for, but then it leaves, it asks like so many more questions. Like mm-hmm. you're left at the end being like, who is the baby? Um, I thought for a hot second that it meant Olivia was Cole's mom. Did you guys? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You you did? Um, And wondering, like, okay, you're going to break the cycle, but how? Um, And then you've got the kind of Blackleaf 1852. So, like, we just listed, here's all the questions that they answered. But by the end of the episode, we have, like, a list of, like, four to five other questions, which is just perfect, right? Because, like, when you answer questions, I guess the risk is a little bit like it'll be a letdown, but they ask so many more that then you're like, but what does all that stuff mean? Um, Really quickly, the episode title, and it's funny because I was actually thinking, I'm like, how many listeners, like, never had a record player? (laughs) Right? Like, I'm 42. I definitely listen to, like, Disney records on, like, a record player, (laughs) like like Olivia did, but... But um, the episode title refers to those single records that Olivia is listening to, the like smaller records that you would often buy with like an A-side and a B-side song. And RPM stands for revolutions per minute. So how many times the record goes around the turntable. And it's when you think about that this is the Great Cycle episode, you have the both the image, the repeated imagery of the record player, but you have a title of an episode that is a you like a you're measuring how many times something goes around in a circle using a unit measurement of time which is just like of course these fucking guys would come up with something that's like so perfect you know like but i also was just thinking about like the imagery of a record like a record has these like set grooves that you can't change and as it goes around and around, you can pick the needle up and drop it back down and and find a different place on the record to play a song. But but it's always it's always going to go in the same order. Um, so you can try and change what you're, but eventually it's just going to keep going around and it's a set thing. So it's just such a wonderful, um, it's such a wonderful like imagery or metaphor for sort of what the characters are stuck in. Mm-hmm. Um, should we just play like? Speaking of circles, <laughs> <laughs> any any cycles jump out at you guys after watching this episode? Well, I, I I think it was kind of funny that you know we end the episode with um with Cole and Cassie you know back together and Cole being like this is it we're gonna break this cycle but as a viewer you're also kind of like are you 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like, like we believe him, but at the same time, like, on rewatch, like, we know it's going to happen, but, you know, like, that's that's awfully optimistic, Cole. Like, what <laughs> yeah. if what if past you has also done found, you know, the little, like, riddle, uh, you know, story in the in the in the weird toy thing with the with the name and the date like what if that's already mm-hmm. happened you know what i mean like it, it, it the whole thing with like time loops is you get these weird like okay well what is actually changing like you can think that you're acting you know independently and that you're gonna like move things along but what if you're not <laughs> right and i mean you know what's interesting is um that that cole is saying we're gonna break the cycle and yet future asshole is appearing to ensure Team Splinter's own cycle. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you've got actually, you've got Olivia the Witness ensuring her cycle, and you have Future Asshole making sure that he saves Jennifer and connects Jennifer with like present Cole, right? So it's like now you've actually have, we didn't really realize it at the time on first watch, but you've got like two warring teams ensuring their own cycle to lead to that like final face off, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then actually, like, Bubs, you probably think that you know what I mean? That, that this all leads to exactly where Olivia, like, actually wants it to be, which is achieving the Red Forest. <laughs> I mean, she so. says to Cassie, you're there with me. And I'm oh, like, yes, she is. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I mean, I love that that, you know, the, like, Olivia's origin story, what we learn is it is in and of itself it's an Ouroboros, right? Mm-hmm. So we watch her in this episode at the end and at the beginning, and it's her going back, ensuring her own, like, how she comes to be able to do everything that she does. That's a cycle. Um, this is also the last episode that begins with a with a mission of kill someone and it will reset everything right mm-hmm. like we have been doing that for a very long time on this show and <laughs> and it has and it has it couldn't be going so well and so i love i love the opening montage because the sort of ritual to cleaning the gun and how that's edited back and forth with young olivia being booked um into a prison um or into jail that it, it, the whole back and forth of it while the song happy together <laughs> plays is not only that these like two characters are stuck in a loop but that this cycle of violence is in and of itself a loop that that nothing Cassie is going to do on that day is going to fix anything in fact it's going to give Olivia an idea um about your child can have a purpose um and it's also just kind of like a cycle of violence of like mothers and children all killing each other right like Cassie kills Olivia's mother just like the pallid man kills Cole's father but then Gail kills you know um the pallid man's father and it's just like endless like I mean I'm sure we can just shout out we can make it a drinking game this podcast like (laughs) spot a cycle and shout it but but one thing that this episode did really well as like part of the twist and and I will say that you know what the show does overall really well in terms of their twists is that like not every episode is a fucking twist. So you don't always expect it. You know what I mean? Like you're not like, 
like no part of this are you watching and you're like, well, you know, I'm sure that they're going to get out of this in a way. Like it's it's it does a really good. They always do a really good job of giving you giving you a twist when you least expect it. But then in this episode specifically, it really sort of preys on our own. Um, and I think you have notes on this uh, later on. Our, yeah. our biases, biases, mm-hmm. especially in t- in terms of how we generally view these mother mother daughter relationships. Like the evil stepmother is, or the evil mother, or whatever, is such a trope that like we are immediately on young. Olivia's side you know Mm -hmm. like well of course she was trying to escape a crazy cult like duh and then turns out hey by the way um mom's actually not that bad and daughter drank the kool-aid and so you know like what a twist um and so I really I really like how they kind of played with with our the biases that we would that the audience would go into an episode like this with yeah, I mean, bias is like, it's it's not, you know, we're four women on this podcast and we're, I totally fell for it, you know, like thinking yeah. that this is the young woman who's being like forced to have a child and give it up by this like religious like patriarchy, right? It totally preys on sort of the expectations we bring in. And on the other, on the other end and sort of the B plot with Bonham, um, who I, I had to look up his name because I just call him varies in my head. Um, <laughs> they're also playing with our expectations because up until this point, they have made him seem super shady, right? Like he's following Jennifer. He has this whole like, noir like you know sitting in a car like you know wearing a rain jacket the way he talks to Jennifer it seems like he's with the army of the 12 monkeys um even the actor that they cast right like mm-hmm. we're used to him playing a character that is you know um like steeped in conspiracy and always up to something and then it turns out he's actually one of the good guys um and so if you look at like how the episode begins you're like oh this poor young girl who's trying to run away from this cult and the shady guy who's following Jennifer. And then by the end of the episode, they've upended it, um, it like subverted our expectations in two different ways. Um, I was, I'm curious on everyone's take. This is a very, in some ways, a very, and we've talked a little bit about this with Olivia before, a very feminist supervillain origin story. Um, partly because of what we just said, that, that it has seemed like it was this patriarchy that used Olivia, put her in a box, um, created her for that purpose. We saw her sort of overcome that at the end of season three, but now we learn that it was her, you know, we get to watch her giving herself orders. I actually thought about it a lot because it occurred to me, um... As I was going through um, Titans reveals when I was like rewatching this, how um, we know that, well, because we've seen it, we know that Olivia is the witness. And so you'd think because she's kind of, she's ahead of all of this, that Titan would be more um, matriarchal seeming. Um, but there's a lot of like, like the women are dressed like, um, I don't know how to explain this, very like traditional dresses. Um, and then the men have very like masculine clothing, so I mean it adds to the surprise of it being a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they, they look like medieval nuns. Yeah, exactly. I so mean, but robes are just comfy. Like, <laughs> like everyone's wearing a robe. Like some people are monks, some people are medieval nuns. Like everyone just has you know a lot more air around their bits. <laughs> yeah, but go full like Heaven's Gate though, and get like a nice jumpsuit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to pee in a jumpsuit. I'm told. 
Uh, Joe's recording this podcast sitting in like a hooded cloak. (laughs) (laughs) And you immediately are reminded that it's a mistake ever to wear a jumpsuit when you're in the bathroom in a public restroom peeing naked. (laughs) (laughs) True. That's always you're like, I'm an asshole for wearing this. (laughs) Sorry, I'm I'm in a (laughs) tracksuit. Got it. <laughs> you know, that sometimes people jump in. That didn't work out real well. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the thing that I stra- – so so the thing that I think is so interesting about it is that you've got our present Olivia, the witness Olivia that's sitting in Titan, you know, as we were saying, like, such a lack of confidence. She's, like, at sea. She's being questioned in front of her followers, right, by Tarek. Um, and so she – gains confidence, um, harnesses this new superpower to be able to travel through time using Titan, takes charge, um, discovers that like, you know, if, if you think to like the Olivia that was seething against the witness during season two and season three, you know, this episode really explains, it really gives you insight as to why she would be so angry, right? Like this is a religious figure that asked her to have a baby, do that to her body, give it up. And then when she loses faith in the witness, like it really, it really kind of fleshes out a, just another reason why she would be so angry. Um, so. She really takes command, like this episode is her taking command of the cycle, right? And she was the one who gave that order, right? Sacrifice for me. It's a sacrifice for herself to like attaining this leadership position. On the other hand, all of that still happened to that young Olivia and had to wait. She has to wait decades to find that out. Right. So it's like, on the one hand, she was in charge of her own destiny. She was in charge of her own cycle. The only person that ever asked her to make those sacrifices, it was herself. On the other hand, she didn't know that for decades. And so in some, it is still tragic that she was the girl in the box. The girl asked to have a baby and give it up and asked, like, basically, like, we see glimpses of her having human interaction and like, you know, dancing and eating a pizza and things that we never thought we would watch Olivia do, right? And then she gave all of that up. Um, Future so- Olivia is kind of a dick. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you have the power to like control and see time, and you couldn't be like, you know, what if, what if I like figured out a way to do all this, but not be quite an asshole to myself? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, right. Ooh, but she couldn't though. Her, I mean, her whole. Her whole cycle is fixed, and she, like, makes sure of that. I mean, she is such a masochist. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's – it's, like, Not on the – shame, but <laughs> – On the one hand, it's really empowering, and on the other hand, it's not. Yeah, because it, is it agency if you take it away from yourself? Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's like an Ouroboros. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, so why don't we, we why don't we delve into the episode and we're going we're going to we're going to walk through Olivia's story from beginning to end both in 2046 and 1971 um and then we'll get to sort of the little deacon piece um and then um 2018 Prague after that. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. All right. So we open up with Olivia um things are not Things are not going well at Titan. Um, and the faithful are are not really um, 
are questioning her leadership. There's a lot about this that reminds me of um, like those Darth Vader scenes in the original Star Wars movies where it's like, when are evil henchmen going to learn that you should never question the megalomaniac in the dark cloak? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to get like choked through the force or you're going to get that huge blade stuck through you. Right. But like even Tarek, who was her right hand man in bringing about the coup in season three, is questioning her. And it's 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 great because it's a problem that they previewed um, over the last two seasons with Olivia being almost a little bit jealous of Jennifer and primaries because they can see through time and she can't. Dude, um, imagine being Tarek, though. I mean, you just followed her through all this crazy nonsense and now she's being like, just kidding, I was the leader. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you went through a lot to get, like, right back to the same place. Right, it was like, fuck the witness. No, wait, that was me. Wait, I'm the witness. <laughs> JK, but it's fine. Right, but, you know, it's not manufactured drama. It's a serious problem, right? Because they were always led to believe that Ethan was the witness, and Ethan they always knew was primary since he was a little boy. Now you find out that your leader isn't. How the hell, you know, and you killed a primary that you had, as Tarek points out, that you could have used to bring about a paradox. And so it's, a, I mean, Olivia, it's not just a crisis of like, now she actually has to be in charge at Titan and deal with all of the faithful and managing her constituency, but also, how's she going to do this? Imposter syndrome? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. That's kind of great. I mean, it it is um, maybe as women as we're watching it, that's why we find ourselves sometimes rooting for Olivia, right? Because mm-hmm. she does she does all of this, and then she's the leader, and she is doubting herself, right? Like, um, damn, like what? Like women can't win, you know? You take over, but you got to be confident the whole time. Like, damn, like cut a cut a bitch a break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And all these men around you are questioning you. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean. And at and the end of the day, you're them. your own worst enemy. So it's yeah. all the same. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm depressed. <laughs> I, mean, I think um, the reason why she's such a great villain is because a lot of times when you're watching a villain, you're like, oh, he's terrible because he's evil. With Olivia, you're like, oh, she's terrible because she's a fucking human. Ugh. Like, it's just... Yeah. She's well, I mean, she also human. does want to, like, bring about, you know, an eternal apocalypse, but whatevs. whatevs. But she thinks it's the it's good. That's why. What? Ah, oh, bubs. <laughs> <laughs> Just get out of here she with does. your Red Forest bullshit. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's also, I mean, Olivia is also very, just like as moving to 1971, I think one of the reasons why we kind of fall for, I mean, it's not, it's, she's having a disagreement with her mother and she's having kind of her like, I don't want your life <laughs> <laughs> moment with Mantis. It's not, it's not what we think, what we think the disagreement about, we're wrong, but it's still having a, a argument or a fracture with a parent because you want your life to be something different than what your parent wants for you. Um, and in this case, Mantis is not what we think, right? She actually wants her daughter to have agency and not have to do this, but it's still relatable as you watch a child kind of having that or a young adult having that push and pull with a parent, the mm-hmm. same way that it's like relatable seeing her kind of feeling like she has imposter syndrome at Titan. Mm-hmm. Even though the circumstances are insane. <laughs> or 
right? Like, it, mine was like, you know, my mom didn't like the law school I went to. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> where did she want you to go? She wanted me to, oh, she had total East Coast bias. She wanted me mm-hmm. to go to Georgetown and not University of Texas. Damn. Yeah, I know, I know. It worked out fine. I'm no longer a lawyer. Um, <laughs> So if we can switch to 1971, um, the opening montage, I love it so much. I love the like that we're watching Cassie plotting an assassination and loading a gun while the turtles kind of like spacey Beach Boys-esque song Happy Together from 1971 is playing and it's like the irony of so happy together as you're watching Olivia and Cassie you know and and now when you watch it it's like that's this this episode is such a phenomenal setup for their final face-off in the finale mm-hmm. um but it's just like the words are just hilarious like um the like imagine me and you and it's like a love song but really it's like these two like awesome female characters who fucking hate each other (laughs) um did you guys have any other thoughts about the montage no i just liked it it was just really nicely cinematic yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, and Joe, you like you were on for our other '70s episode. Um, oh, I was. Yeah, yeah, in season two. So this is again like the cinematography, as we talked about at that on that podcast, really kind of grounds you in the era. Can we talk about Holly DeVoe, who plays young Olivia? Yes, yeah. she was no. great. Like yeah. she was great in like again, yeah, making you think that, making you assume that she is the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because she has this sort of like you know these big eyes, and she she kind of she has this like Disney princess look about her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, street urchin Disney princess, and you're like, oh well, you know, bad things happen or whatever. And then you know, even even when she um when she when she gets pregnant, um, we as the viewer are like, fuck, she can't escape her fate. Like you know, they mm-hmm. they they said that she was going to have a baby, or you know that that all of this stuff, you know, and 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 damn it, like you know, even even though she tried to get away, she she still ended up, you know back, you know, continuing her own story along exactly as, as they said it would, um, which, you know, again, gets turned up on its head when you realize, actually, that was kind of a little bit on purpose. Um, right. Which was just crazy. Yeah. I mean, her, she's so, she's just really, really well cast. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of sort of a physical resemblance. Um, but you're right. She's also really good at playing both the victim and also later on in the episode that kind of steely um you know when we get sort of the full story um of everything that's happening but another thing just going to this scene where it it seems like she and this other woman are kind of squatting um in kind of an abandoned apartment um she's really good at playing the sort of even if Olivia, even if we now know that Olivia is doing exactly what she wants to do, um, and she's not hiding from her mother for the reasons that we think, you do see there's part of her that is enjoying this moment of connection with this woman, like the way she looks at her. Um, is it me or it's all very gay? It's very gay. <laughs> Like, um, the way they're, like, dancing together, the way the woman, like, moves the hair out of her face, and the way that Olivia's looking at her. It's just very, like, that's not how I hang it's out intimate. with my girlfriends. It's, yes. It's, it's really, very. It's, it's an intimacy that, like, 
Yeah. And, you know, you know my feelings on Olivia and, you know, her sexuality. So, yeah. I really thought they were going to touch butts. (laughs) Is that what you think happens? (laughs) (laughs) Why butts? (laughs) I haven't seen that movie yet. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get it. (laughs) Well, it is. There is a lot of intimacy. It's not just the dancing. Like later when the woman's putting mascara on her, the way they're leaning against each other and stuff, to me at least suggested that there's something very intimate between the two of them. Um, that probably goes beyond friendship. Um, but I um, I think it's hilarious they're stealing watches. <laughs> like, even, even when Olivia, yes. even when quote-unquote Liv is, like, on the run as a prostitute, she's still obsessed with time and is stealing yes. watches off these Johns. She's um, stealing people's time. Like, she's literally stealing people's time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, when Mantis comes storming in and we see that the woman is dead – I totally fell for it. And I was like, oh, man, this is like, this is going to be the explanation for Olivia's like part of Olivia's like tragic backstory is that she lost the woman she loved and all this. And then Mm -hmm. the episode's like, ha ha, no. (laughs) (laughs) You chump. Yeah, but me too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So um, speaking of So Happy Together, that leads us to uh, Cassie and Olivia in jail. Um, and it's like, so talk, if you're talking about an episode where characters are stuck in a loop, like the symbolism of these two women are literally stuck in a jail cell, <laughs> can't get out, is <laughs> very like on point. Um, I thought that this scene does a really good job of sort of reminding us where Cassie is with her grief and her character journey, because there's a lot of facial acting that's going on with Amanda Shul that is like, kind of she's at war with herself, that she wants this vengeance, but then she finds out that Olivia is pregnant and on the run from the army of 12 monkeys. And obviously Cassie knows what that feels like. Do you guys have any thoughts about this scene? Um, I just liked that, you know, again, like, because what episode was I on where we had um, Jones and Olivia and Olivia was in the cage? Enemy. Yeah. Yes. Um, I just like that, you know, again, we're getting these sort of like Olivia, Olivia in a cage. And we think that she is in a cage, but she is not actually in a cage. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like Olivia is exactly where she wants to be. Mm-hmm. Oh, always. Right. And the, the line the writing is so good because when she says, my mother wants something for me, my mother wants me to believe something I don't, she wants me to make a terrible choice. All of that is true. Mm-hmm. Just not in the way that we think at all. <laughs> you know? So like when you first hear that, you think that her mother is forcing her to have a child to fulfill some like religious like prophecy um, and then sacrifice that child. And what she means is my mother wants me to walk away from my religious faith and my purpose. And that's a terror. She thinks that's the terrible choice. Yeah. And it's such a great twist because um, you're talking earlier about circles and expectations and um, the show has so well set up uh, the once there's a chi- like your child involved, it's very hard to make choices not about the child. So we see that with um 
Ramsey, Cole, and Cassie, obviously. So now we, you know, Cassie's relating on that level with her. And so we, we expect that that's what she's thinking. Mm-hmm. But really, it's her mother who's the one thinking that. We don't expect her to not be thinking that because everyone has been thinking that. Um, so I thought that was great. Yeah, I, there's a del- there is a really sad kind of takes your breath away irony to Cassie explaining that her son has died and Cassie not knowing the circumstances yet of Ethan's death. Mm-hmm. And that young Olivia doesn't obviously either, but she says I she's asking Cassie how did he die and saying that she's sorry when she's the one who did it. <laughs> you know who will do it. I didn't um, notice that. Yeah. Um, and also, like, this is just, it's really, it's, it's interesting because even, even though we think Cassie is a, at this point and coming off of the last episode when Jones and Cole were arguing, you know, no, we need to, we need to break this endless cycle of violence and we need to choose hope to make a change. Cassie is, you know, she see, you know, she is not, she is hellbent on killing, right? She's like pulling the lace out of her shoe to strangle her, right? It's like fucking hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, but then you see that like as soon as she, as soon as she understands that she's pregnant and relates to her, you see that start to shift that Cassie's still someone who's willing to help someone in that, in that position. You know, she's not quite as hardened as maybe the last episode suggested. Okay, so that takes us to the flashbacks, um, where we see sort of the first time that she drank the red tea. Did you guys have any initial thoughts about that? I thought that was really, of all the things like you see um, on the show that are terrible, for some reason, watching someone be like stripped of their clothes, I was like, no, how dare you? (laughs) Well, and also like she's like... It's a visceral reaction. I, I think, like, kind of young in that. And you're like, it, it makes us hate Mantis to be like, wow, you're letting some rando cult dudes, like, undress your teenage daughter. Like, like we are meant to have this really visceral reaction because all of the rest of media shows this as a thing that happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so- yeah. Especially when it has no pertinence to the actual, like, happening. It's not yeah. like you have to take your clothes off to do this. Yeah. Right? Like, you could just, like, lift up your sleeve. Damn. Yeah. It goes back to, like, the the organization feeling very patriarchal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, like, let's remove some girl's agency. Like, let's, you know, strip her down. Let's, you know. It to cleanse her. Make and, sure she is pure. And, well, and yet. Yeah, it's debasing, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and then to have Mantis, her mother, overseeing it, it gives it, – it's that feeling like back in season three with Magdalena, right? Or mm-hmm. when you're watching um, – what's her name? Um, Anne Dowd on ha- in The Handmaid's Tale. Like the woman, the woman who is complicit in mm-hmm. that misogyny – it, it makes it even worse. You know what I mean? Like, so, but I, I do think that Scotty Thompson, even in that scene, she looks, she's doing it, but she also looks a little bit uncomfortable when her daughter's about to be branded. Like, there's a lot of, I think there's like a lot of layers to it. Um, we then get the red tea vision, except that it's... It's interesting to consider how much agency does Mantis have? Well, yeah, I mean, th- it's this whole circle of, I mean, one of the, it's a really good point, B. One of the things I was struck by is Olivia raised her mother and always knew how her mother died. 
You know, like she's in some ways in control or has knowledge of her mother's entire cycle, even though it's her mother who's also shaping and raising her, right? They're like these two like intertwined circles with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, partic- Mantis is so interesting in this episode because she also talks about she's actually at a point where she is having a lack of faith and the meaning she has gotten from her life after surviving when she wasn't supposed to is by having the pallid man and Olivia, which really suggests maybe she's like not a great mom considering <laughs> how they both turned out. <laughs> fun, fun fact. Um, uh, so last night I did, I, I watched this episode, you know, and took my notes or at least, you know, made some comments in the margins. And, uh, and oddly enough, the episode of Nikita uh, that girlfriend and I watched was, was the episode uh, with Scotty Thompson in it. Like she's in one episode and that's the episode that we happened to watch last night. And I was like, oh, hey, it's you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. You have some other fun um, guest stars. A lot of crossovers. A lot of crossovers. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it was just kind of fun because like I knew that, you know, I think you had mentioned that she was in it and that, uh, you know, that there's a lot, there's a lot of actor crossovers that happen, um, you know, on between both shows. So yay. Nice. Nice to see you again. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the thing that made me stand up, like sit up straight, even the first time I watched, is watching Mantis brushing Olivia's hair. Hair brushing, mm. always creepy. Never romantic, never sweet, never, never lovely. It's, it's can, always it's creepy. It's sweet. It can no, be sweet. always creepy. Have you seen Insta Family? No. <laughs> well, but I mean, this is that, like, one of the first things we ever saw Olivia do is to do that to Jennifer and kind of offer herself, right, as, Pretty. like, a replacement mother figure to Jennifer. And that that's where she got it from, was her own mother doing that to her. And so it's really – it, 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 there's a lot to unpack there because it is a motherly act, right? Like I brush my daughter's hair. Um, but also what's going on between them with Mantis being like, okay, so tell me about your vision and, and whether Olivia feels like her mother's trying to manipulate her. Um, she uses that to manipulate other people. Um, it's just so interesting to watch like the origin of like one of Olivia's, like those are, that's one of the tools in her arsenal that she uses to manipulate people and it came from her mother. Okay, so Olivia with her, his name is the advisor to the witness. Um, We go back to Titan. She's looking at the word of the witness, obviously lots of circles (laughs) on that document. Um, And she's trying to figure out why did I ask myself this? And we'll learn in a few minutes that, you know, that it was to sacrifice, you know, to have a child and sacrifice it. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts sort of about this? This is a huge reveal that this is how the witness was able to time travel um, or appear inside people's heads or control them. Um, Sort of any initial thoughts after watching this unfold? It still kind of breaks my brain. Um, And that's probably because like I have probably taken too much time between rewatch and stuff. But the whole thing like still somewhat breaks my brain. If I'm being honest, I'm like, wait, so Carrie the one, she's over there and she goes back, <laughs> but then it still happens. But then now we break it. And I'm like, okay, wait, 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 wait. Um, but well, I think that's probably just my my own um, shortcomings. Well, no, I, the way that I kind of explain it to myself is um, the, um, the primes are almost like already in their own red forest. You know, they experience time like all together. Um, and so... 
the reason why they feel so crazy is because they don't live in the Red Forest. They live in regular time. Um, so it's very hard for them to function. So Olivia, um, when she be- when she channels the abilities of the Primes, is basically everywhere at once. So that's how she is able to just kind of like tap into her consciousness um, at a different time. And other she's... and other people's consciousness. Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. That is the part that kind of. Yeah, because she did it to Cassie, and she'll obviously do it in again in one minute more. Um, but she's able to use, you know, she she teases two things. Titan has a purpose. Um, mm-hmm. It's not just a time traveling city. Um, this is an explanation of a second purpose for Titan. And it also is giving us a hint of sort of the origin story of what the ultimate purpose of Titan is, which is to bring about the Hartle Hawking state, um, which all goes back to Emma. Right. Um, I, it's interesting because you have the advisor mentioned the great Jin, um, just as on the other side of this episode, um, Bonham is, is, is talking about the Jin to Jennifer and Cole. And that, at, we now know is a big hint, um, especially with respect to this riddle, right? What the serpent and the demon really are. Um, I love that the witness mask almost in and of itself is an Ouroboros because the witness was always appearing in that mask because Olivia needs it for life support to be able to do this. Um, but but it was a symbol because that's what the witness always used. So when he's like, it seems appropriate to use this, it's like, yeah, because the witness used it starting in this moment. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's how it always like appeared to everyone. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love that reveal. Yeah. That's cute. I love that shot of of when the camera kind of pulls away and you see all of those tubes and wires, right? And like the it's like the lights coming through when she's about to do it. It's like so badass. And it's like, I feel like it's like that moment in Star Wars where the, where the um, mask comes over Darth Vader's face. You're like, this is when it started, you know? Um, Would you guys catch a lot of the stuff in the sort of time stream, the the images that Olivia is seeing? I mean, I tried to. (laughs) (laughs) What's, what, what stuck out to you guys? Um, I think it's just like they just did stuff like that can be very, I think, hard to sort of convey not cheesily in 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 film and television, Um, you know, being like, oh, look, we're looking through a time stream or whatever. But they did they did a really good job of cutting sort of back like from a technical standpoint, like cutting back and forth, like and sort of taking us with her in that (laughs) and like sort of explaining it as well, like sort of like being like this whole time it's been her, you know, it, it, I. I just liked it. I liked the way that it did it. Plus, then we got, um, you know, um, raccoon, raccoon eyes makeup, um, Olivia, because <laughs> for whatever reason, you need, you know, smudgy, smudgy stuff to be in the in the witness mask. Absolutely. Yeah. And you see sort of it being reflected in her eye. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is really, you're right. It could have been really cheesy, um, but it's not. And this director is really, obviously, really talented. Yeah. Um, because he 
you know, it's it's kind of great because especially since he's the person apparently who came up with sort of the feel of the Red Forest visions going all the way back to the beginning of the show. It's kind of great. Like, it also makes sense why it was cool to look at. <laughs> um, but it, it, there, it's flashing back to a lot of things we've seen, um, including some of the images from like when Jones drank the red tea with old Jennifer, you know, kind of the stars, you know, when it's like um, – when you see exposure over time so that stars almost look like lines. Mm -hmm. Um, But also it gives us a bunch of glimpses into the rest of season four. Um, We see the Native American seer who's going to be in the next episode. We see Andrews um, from Demons. We see Cassie on the balcony um, from the finale, which I had forgotten that they gave us that glimpse. So like at the end of the episode, when, she, when Cassie's like, I'm coming for you and Olivia's like, I'm counting on it. She knows exactly what that means. Um, and the other thing is since she sees all this stuff from demons, it really hit me that from this moment when she sees everything, she always knew that Deacon was full of shit, right? Did you guys draw that conclusion? Like oh, from this she moment on? Would have known about. Him escaping everything, sake. Right? Am I? Am I? uh, Because you know she knows. She says in demons before she kills Deacon that she knew that he wasn't actually on her side. But she has witnessed the whole cycle at this point, including them showing us scenes from demons with Andrews. So I assume that means that it's a result of this looking at the time stream. So that when you watch those scenes with her with Deacon, she already knows that he's lying. Um, I mean, she wasn't necessarily watching, like, every piece and every person, though. True. Like she was just fast-forwarding through those and being like, eh, yeah. this guy. <laughs> well, it yeah. might not have even been in there. I mean, if you, you know, look at the time stream, it's obviously too big for you to take in all at once. And even what the primaries see, it's always specific things. So she's reaching into, like, certain moments, whether she's trying to follow a particular person or, like, where they are around or whatever. It's not like she's just, like, downloading the whole world at that time. So her DVR is full. Sure. <laughs> she, has to, she has to delete some stuff before she can watch anything. Yeah, she needs to get an ex, you know external hard drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that it flashes um, sort of her, I am the witness, I have seen, will seen, I was a thing in a box, and we see little Olivia Kirshner um, back in Germany in her like one-way mirror room. Um, it's... Uh, it's a really great, you know, it's both tying back to this is a triumphant moment for her, right? Like she mm-hmm. is finally able to do what she was always jealous that the primaries could do. Um, do you guys have any sort of other thoughts about that before we go to Monkey Mansion? Uh, I don't think so. I thought about Olivia's abilities and I think if we equate it to the magician's nephew in the C.S. Lewis series, Narnia, um, if the Red Forest is the place with all the pools that you could go into, and the second that you have the red, you take the red drink, you're tethered to that world um, that becomes the Red Forest when time is dismantled. But if you're strong enough, you can go into other people's pools. <laughs> I've never read that book. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I'm sorry, sure not just like purposely then. trying to ignore you, but it's kind of like... Uh, I'm so cool, sorry. Bubs, great connection. <laughs> I never made it that far. Okay, the expanse, the place worth all the portals. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like uh, where we ended Basically in, the same thing. in season same thing. three when, yes. when like all of those different worlds open up. Correct. Yeah. It's like the train station. Got it. Yeah. 
Got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like broke our brains there for a second. There we go. <laughs> it needs to make sense. Um, I I loved being I loved Monkey Mansion. I loved being back. Um, on this, you're like, oh my god, we're back here, right? Like the last time Cassie was there, that's when she was being held as a as a prisoner and forced to drink the red tea for the first time. So it's kind of, I love how the cop is like, you know don't play with guns. And she's like, uh-huh. And then the next thing you see is Cassie like loading her gun with like a silencer, right? Like it's so, it's really funny how this, they've set this up so that this is almost like a revenge fantasy for Cassie. Mm-hmm. She's she is outside of Monkey Mansion about to take down the army of the 12 monkeys to save a young woman from having to give her baby up to them, right? Like, you couldn't get a revenge fantasy more on the nose for Cassie, except it's not at all, um, like, (laughs) what she thinks it is. And, you know, they totally build it up. We see Mantis, like, slapping Olivia and saying, you will obey me. Um, But now we realize that means you're going to obey me, your mother, instead of the witness, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Then that takes us to like the Cassie and Man- Cassie getting her ass kicked because even when Man- when Mantis is like has gray hair, she still is like a bionic human. <laughs> um, thoughts on sort of this face off where oh, Cassie's like, "You're not going to take her child," and Mantis is like, "That's not what I'm trying to do at all." And then we get the big reveal of everything that young Olivia was doing. Um, I just I. It's so, like, the fact that Olivia knew, I mean, obviously, like, Olivia didn't give two shits about her mom at that point or whatever, but the fact that she knew, like, hey, there's one bullet left, my mom's gonna, like, jump in front of me and die, and then, like, and, and, and Cassie still thinks that she can, like, has agency in this moment, like, it's kind of, it's really interesting to see these sort of choices that these characters think that they're making, that they think that they're making choices, but no, you're not actually making a choice. Like, (laughs) this is all, all of this has been done before. Yeah. Um, But I did like – one thing that I did actually kind of like about sort of Olivia's interactions with with Cassie is she calls her Cassandra in certain scenes and then calls her Dr. Rayleigh in others. But, like, she's never Cassie. Does that make sense? Like, like she's always very formal about it. Um, Right. I always like that as as a little detail. Yeah. Cassie, that is what – people who care about Cassie call her. <laughs> Except right? Jones, who is always very formal, but that's what we love about Jones. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think one of the things, you know, this this episode is really, as an audience, can be as demoralizing as it is for the characters, right? You're watching this moment and you're like, God, even the thing that Cassie wants to do, now she's in a moment where she doesn't want to do it. <laughs> But she's going to shoot, try and shoot Olivia anyway, because Olivia goads her, right? Like, in that awful, like, she wasn't sure how her son died. And now Olivia uses that as a weapon to get her to do something that Cassie's trying not to do, right? To to prove that I I don't have to do what you say. It's Um, like, totally like a, why are you hitting yourself? (laughs) Like, right. Yeah. Yeah, But I mean, it's, it is, it's, it's something that like, it's funny, Selena mentioned this um, when she was on about sort of how when you have these time travel stories and there's a loop, if you can't make a change, then it ends up being just as demoralizing for the audience as the characters, right? Like, you get to the end of the scene 
And when Cassie later sees Cole and is like, we're stuck in a loop and is so upset, like you feel that too as an audience. Like how will they ever mm-hmm. break out of this? Um, it was something that would like hit me when my husband and I were just watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. when they did time travel for a season where it's a loop and you can feel like, he was like, oh man, I feel like we're back in 12 Monkeys. They're never going to fucking get out of this. You know, like so a loop – like, in a circle, you're kind of, I feel, you I don't know, at least when I watch that scene, I feel as like, you know, when Olivia's like, I'm counting on it, and Cassie's like, I'm coming for you, you're like, you really want her to fucking crush Olivia, but I have no idea how they're going to be able to do it. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. it's fr- it's frustrating, and it's demoralizing. Yeah. That's how um, I feel with our administration. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the other hand, it, it recalls, she says, there's nothing more powerful than fate, which recalls the end of season one, where Olivia was saying that, and then Cole makes the decision to stop and run back and save Ramsey. And so, so it's- You yeah, have a note about this? Um, yeah. That Olivia burns the word. <clears throat> there is nothing more powerful than fate. And then you have, but is it a fate of her own making? Yeah. Um, I have recently been on a uh, Terminator kick. Um, mm. And one of the lines that they use, uh, especially between the first one, the second one, and then the newest one that has come out, uh, Dark Dark Fate, which is actually quite good and very subtextually gay, um, <laughs> is the, the full quote, there is no fate but but what we make for ourselves and like that is literally what olivia is doing like she is making her own fate because she has to to be able to get to the point that she was going to be at to get all of her pieces to fall in line like i just i i saw some parallels and i just wanted to you know give you your 90s 80s and 90s movie reference yes joe always <laughs> has a 90s movie reference for every podcast but it it does break your brain a little bit right like so uh, there's uh, there's two kind of thoughts i had from that like one thing this episode suggests um there's nothing more powerful than fate that that goes back to that season one finale is the only thing that ends up being more powerful than fate that changes the fact that Ramsey died on that day is that Cole loves his brother and turns back to save him. And while you have sort of this cycle of violence and this choosing violence constantly results in them going around and around in circles, what is breaking and what will put them on the path to breaking that cycle is Cole believing in Jennifer, searching for his friend, um, the faith of those descendants of Chorus that kept the story alive, right? Um, mm-hmm. And believed in it and passed it along. And and Cole is able to, you know, open, literally break o- the circle of the Ouroboros um, and get the clue because of a story that was passed down from his mother to his father and like two people that loved him, right? So it's interesting because it's like on the one, one part of the episode is – this cycle, and it sure does seem like there's nothing more powerful than this circle, and they're not going to be able to break out of it. On the other hand, thematically, they're sort of showing us the ways that they're already on the path to do that, which is like choosing the people you love, basically, right? I mean, the only reason why they're able to do any of this is because of all the choices this team makes for each other, from Jennifer Mm -hmm. to Deacon to Cole and on and on and on. But the other thing that breaks my my brain, Joe, is like that point is – there's no power. She makes her own fate. And yet, <laughs> the Olivia that's standing there in Titan is setting herself on this path. And yet, she never would be there if it weren't for the things that had already happened to her. And so, like, did she make her own fate? 
I mean, I, don't, I mean, the, the sort of funny thing about the 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 sort of intention behind it when it's said in Terminator is just that, like, they're like we think that this is going to happen. We think that we can't change this. Like that that this is our that the the apocalypse is unchangeable. That this is our future. But no, like you know, but but the idea of the line is no. We have agency. We can change it or what you know. Like we 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 can make a choice and we can say this is not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that ooh, we can change the future. Except um, you know, it, it's a bit of the opposite with Olivia in that you know. She wants all of it to happen. So yeah, is she is she changing fate? Is she choosing? Like it's it's yeah. But she, yeah. and so is it fate at that point? Like if she is making those choices, like is she decide? Yeah, like wh- what would her fate have been otherwise if Olivia didn't fuck with her own timeline? Well, right, and and the purpose. I mean, she wants to fulfill this purpose, but that purpose is something that also has been, um, like formed her as a person throughout her whole life, right? So it kind of gets back to this like nurture problem, everything that happened to Olivia, her whole journey from being put in a box through being raised by her mother and all of that, um, having a, a child and, and, you know, giving it up and all of that and, and having that sort of rebellion during season two and season three, right? And, and planning that coup, all of that formed the Olivia who is going to supposedly take command of her own fate. But she wouldn't be that person if it weren't for all of those things that happened to her. <laughs> but she made those things happen to herself. So it's just like, it's such a brain, it's just such a brain puzzle thinking about sort of fate and free will when it comes to Olivia. I mean, for everyone, really, it seems like the only time that they are successful with changing the future are when they focus on, like, one singular thing. Um, For example, when they save um, Jones's daughter. Like, they they go from this broad thing that they want to change the specific course in in all of time to just save this one person. Um, And that's the only thing that ends up working. And it's always just, like, the one act of saving one person, of, you know, thinking smaller that they're successful with and not so much the whole picture. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, we see, we see glimpse. There's a lot of um, revisiting sort of the events of the show and understanding that, you know, it brings, it's like a big reveal of not only do we now understand the scene from back in season two when Mantis died um, and the pal- young pallid man walked out, uh, walks out of the room to go on and do all the things that we know the pallid man will do. Um, we now understand that. I mean, it's interesting because Mantis was having that crisis of faith, right? And in that moment of a crisis of faith, the witness appears to her in the body of her daughter. So she doesn't fully understand what it means, but she has a, if you think about it from like Mantis's like cult experience, her Messiah appeared to her before she was shot. You know, she was doubting the witness and she's like, who is this? And Cassie's like, it's the witness. So when she's talking to the pallid man and it's like, now you have to take up this mantle, her faith was restored before she died. And then she gives that sort of, you know, um, sending the pallid man out into the world, right? Um, and it's also just interesting to think about how Olivia always knew that Cassie had something to do with her mother's death. 
I'm going to save the little rabbit hole on Where Are You Going, Billy, the um, 1969 song that plays at the beginning of the episode when Olivia is dancing with her friend. Um, but the song comes back, and I think it's really clever the way they use it um, as we see sort of this montage of everything that will be done um, to ensure what she calls the one beautiful unbreakable cycle. Um, it's so funny how Olivia thinks this cycle is so beautiful, whereas Cassie's like it's a fucking cycle <laughs> you know what I mean like um but I think it's so clever the way they use that song like the title like where are you going um they use it at the beginning of the episode where we actually don't know where Olivia's going in terms of the choices she's making um and then they bring it back with pregnant, very pregnant Olivia and the young pallid man saying, where are you going? And we now know when she turns and is like, we have work to do. We know everything that they're going to do from that point on, <laughs> right? From like 1971, what the two of them are going to do for all of their plans. Creepy shit. Creepy, creepy shit. And it's also just great every time that you see them, you're like, they're like the two great rivals, right? And he has no idea that this what this sister who's like heavily pregnant is the witness who's someday going to kill him, right? That he's serving. It's just crazy. Um, <laughs> but then we see, um, you know, as she says, you know, you, you're doing all this for me. You will lead me the voiceover. We see all of these reveals. So the advisor who has been helping her in this episode is the one who was sent to Dr. Kirshner, um, in Germany to create the messengers and Olivia. Um, so just think about that for a moment. Like Olivia is sending that advisor back to tell Dr. Kirshner to do what he's going to do, knowing that that man is going to put her in a box when she's a little girl. Talk about masochistic. <laughs> I mean, fuck. Um, uh, Causality, but German accent. <laughs> <laughs> but then we see sort of all of the like prepare Cassandra when she she was going to give Cassie the tea, um, the Sam when she was possessing Cassie, right? So Cassie drinking the red tea is what enabled the, um, that Olivia to then take over Cassie's body and, you know, basically everything that she did, fucking with the time machine and with Sam. It shows her coming face to face with Cole when he drank the tea. Um, the two gins where he's like yelling, who are you from the season two finale? Um, it's just such a satisfying, like we're getting answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't always happen with these genre shows that we're watching. Oh my god, it's so true. I think that most shows that start off as such a mystery, um, I, I can't think of many. I can't even think of one right now that actually like answers its own question <laughs> and is, is like a complete story. Can you guys? Uh, that we've finished. Like it's... God, I've watched too much fucking TV. No, because everything ends on, like, all of my favorite sci-fi shows are either they end unsatisfactorily, a.k.a. Battlestar Galactica, or <laughs> they end, like, a season ends on, like, a cliffhanger and then the show gets canceled. Yeah. Honestly, Which, I think Battlestar Galactica, as unsatisfying as season four was, is like the closest tried. to an answer that yeah. any kind of show like that has ever gotten. Yeah, I Even mean, if it, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> It was not my favorite, like, I wanted more from it. But yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Like, it did kind of, like, wrap it the fuck up. And you're like, well, I mean, I guess, I guess that's an answer. Like, it just wasn't, like, one that, like, any of us were satisfied with. Yeah. 
Yeah, like if I I don't know, I haven't listened to like Battlestar podcasts to know, but if you're te- if you're going to tell me that back in season 1 they knew that there was those like the original 5 Cylons and that Cytol was I I I don't buy that. <laughs> <laughs> and I still can't explain what the fuck Starbuck was at the end. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean we there it it is it is really, you know, and, and it, we don't even have to, you know, this is the final season of the show, but they still have a hell of a lot more story to tell. And they just answered like a bucket list of five huge questions, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like in this montage. Um, do you guys have any, you know, one other thing about Olivia that I was thinking about that ties this back to Mother, um, this show is really good at making, you know, there's, it has so many female characters with so much agency. And we've talked a lot about how in d- different ways, the show tells a lot of very different feminist stories. Mm-hmm. They use this really kind of, it's a very powerful tool i find when i'm a woman watching and always always on an eye for like female characters having agency in their own story and all of that which i think we all are now right and feel really Mm -hmm. frustrated when they don't um but in mother with cassie being locked up um and sort of um in these horrific circumstances having to have a baby with a cult Mm -hmm. and then olivia being asked to do that with her body, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's something, first of all, that can only happen to a woman. Yeah. It's something that recalls all kinds of real world questions about religion and agency and women's bodies. It's a really powerful kind of storytelling device to use that I think is sort of, it's just very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like, uh, it, I, I find watching it being a, a someone who like has gone through a pregnancy feeling really uncomfortable when that question comes like a religious institution making a woman do that. But then it turns it on its head. She's making herself do that, you know, mm-hmm. like so. But it kind of brought up for me and, I, you know, Cassie even draws the parallel overtly um, in the dialogue of that situation that Cassie found herself in. And yet... Like in these stories, the they always kind of turn it on its head, and the woman has ends up having agency. Well, mm-hmm. I think you you had a note even also that uh, Allison Down actually objected to Olivia being not picky about <laughs> yes. about the John that she used. But how, but I think if we look at it in the context of she doesn't, it, it's a means to a fucking end. Yeah, you know, and the fact that if we are gonna do a little bit of a. Uh, a a queer reading of Olivia, I think it also, like, who the fuck does she care? Like, it is, you know, again, a a means to an end. So, you know, but, you know, I I also probably don't know Olivia as well as, you know, Alison Down knows Olivia. Just, you know, our our sort of reading of it is like, well, you know, it kind of does make sense that she kind of didn't give a shit. Well, yeah. She doesn't give a shit about the father. It's not about nowhere in the witness telling her that she needed to have a baby. Did it have anything to do with, you know, he needs to be a prime, you know, stock or whatever. It's just like, no, you need a fucking baby. So what's Mm -hmm. the what's the easiest way to get that get there? And it cuts the man out. 
Yeah. Like, right? The man will never know. It, it is It is actually a financial transaction, <laughs> an exchange <laughs> of, you know, services for money. And it totally cuts the man out. There's nothing emotional about it. All of that fits with Olivia. Maybe, I mean, the only other option that maybe would have seemed more... Um, would be if she had gone to like a sperm bank and chosen someone with like intelligent, like an IQ, like, right, like a donor with an IQ of a certain amount, right? That's the only other way it yeah. could have been as impersonal, but more precise. But also, like, way more. <laughs> but it was 1971. Was that a thing? Oh, you're right. Um, yeah, I don't know how long. Interesting. Yeah, when, when did I, yeah, hmm. hmm. I mean, it could be a, a thing of duty over details. Um, Although, like, in some respects, I almost kind of, like, agree with Allison in that, I mean, she's such an overachiever in her faith. That um, she would have tried to get, like, really top quality. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought she wanted it, she would want it to be yeah. someone important or, like, super attractive or, so, you know what I mean? Something. She would have picked out some sort of attribute yeah. that she would I mean, have maybe she picked the, the dog with the nicest watch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many variables. It could be that, like, she saw it as a test of faith, so it really, the baby really didn't matter. Um, so choosing someone that maybe she would have respected would have made it that much harder. So she chose somebody who she did not respect or did well, not even think about so that yeah. she did not have to think about it. And to be honest with you... If I were young Olivia and I read on the wall sacrifice, I mean, when she leaves that baby, I mean, I don't know if I think that baby's going to live for very long. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what does yeah. sacrifice mean? She has no idea what's going to happen to that infant when she leaves it at but the base of faith. the tree. Right? I mean, she, the 100 season six, Josephine the baby. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean. Baby with I, a null. <laughs> I, I love the, you know, it's funny. Be, I like that the record appears sort of um, throughout the episode, right? Like it's smashed on the floor when the woman dies. The, and the record and that song, they show the, the record player and the record going around and around again when she turns to the pallid man is like, we have work to do. And again, they're using the record as sort of that imagery. And then they show us all of the all of the different scenes from the cycle where Olivia was really pulling the puppet strings. Um, it's just a really thematic and thematically tight um, and cinematic episode, all of those little details. Mm -hmm. And when the record player breaks, like, that's the end of her childhood, basically. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, it is – I did love – we forgot to mention, you know, and part of it was they were um, – they were kind of selling to us the idea that Olivia was this like vulnerable woman trying to run away. Mm -hmm. But but that scene where she's sitting on the floor of her room and kind of hugging her knees and listening to the record player. I mean, we just get that is that's a moment where she's alone, right? She's not doing that as a performance for anyone. She really is like considering what should I do? You know, it's that moment we see both a young Olivia having that sort of looking kind of like a scared young woman, you know, and, mm -hmm. and also in seeing her at Titan, not confident about what the path forward is. It's just, I, I, I just love the character so much. We get to spend a lot of really interesting moments with her in this episode. Mm 
Mm-hmm. That's not just the like big bad reveal. How does she get her powers? Kind of stuff, um, which is probably why we like talking about her so much, right? Because there's just so many layers. Um, and the voice, mostly just the voice. Yeah, the mm-hmm. voice. <laughs> what I'm the witness. <laughs> um. All right. If you guys, do you guys have anything else about Olivia? Because we just have a little bit to talk about with Deacon before we go to 2018 Prague. Uh, no, I just I love Olivia. um so deacon um they do a really good job in this scene of deacon selling a lie with the truth do you guys have thoughts on that i mean that's the best way to lie yeah beep do you have any deacon thoughts i mean he starts off by saying i got left behind and he seems really emotionally messed up over it Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he is. I don't think that, you know, that he's, I don't think he even is lying in that regard. It's just the fact that she thinks that that means he's going to side with her is the only thing that makes the difference. It's like his own crisis of faith. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he. I love how he recalls what Olivia said to him, everything I am is wasted on them. Um, and he, everything he says about Cassie and Cole, in some ways is true, right? Like... Cassie did, quote unquote, when she's like, what changed you from being, you know, this like um, the head of the West Seven that, you know, people told stories about far and wide um, in that post-apocalyptic world. And he was like, her, Cassie, I got soft. I thought I was part of something bigger. And then he's like, and I treated that piece of shit, her BF, her boyfriend, like a brother. But he has a habit of killing those. Like, damn. (laughs) That is a burn on Cole with Ramsey, right? Um, it kind of, I mean, it's when I really, like, we've, have, did you guys, I don't think we've ever heard, like, Joe and Bubs, did you guys believe that Deacon had turned against Team Splinter at this point? Um, I don't know, like, I don't know if I really thought about it in terms of, like, I, I, I don't think we had enough time, like, at this point, at least that I remember. Fuck. I think I did. I think I did believe it because we see him um, in an earlier episode looking at the map, the, like the the time map, and being like, "I'm not on this." And it was like really unsettling for him because you know oh, he's right. he's given so much of himself to this cause, and he feels like a team with him. And this is a running theme theme for all of them. Like Ramsey and Jennifer also feel like they're outside of this Cassie Cole um, Jones bubble. And so there, there's a lot of, like, insecurity as to whether they're part of the team. And that, that's, like, ongoing. Um, so from that perspective, I did believe it. And I was really sad about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and also, can I just say that his beat-up makeup was so good that for, like, a second in my brain, like, the part that's, like, not connected to me as a conscious person was, like, wow, they beat him up so good for this part? Like, I was like, wait, it's fake. It's fake. Wow. <laughs> Well, it's also Deacon, man, Deacon is stuck in his own loop, right? Mm -hmm. He's back at Titan, physically super fucked up, (laughs) right? That's where he was at the beginning of season three. He's stuck in his own loop, right? Like, I mean, if you were Deacon, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm fucking back at Titan (laughs) in like physical pain. I've done this already, right? Um, Although one thing that's different is his his prisoner his prison keeper slash person who helped him gets killed right next to him <laughs> so now and i just love it it's just like all right you're up 
It's so great. He was a bench warmer, and now he is not. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. If you guys don't have anything else um, about uh, Deacon and a Titan, let's go to 2018 Prague. And where we left off was Jennifer jumping off a train platform in front so of a speeding train. What, what was the episode where we saw without the resolution? What? How long ago was that? Because I remember we saw Jennifer jump in front of a, of a train. Am I making was, this up? But like we didn't know what happened. It's how the last episode ended. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I did not do a good job of contextual homework. <laughs> you're you're not as steeped in the cycle. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it mm. left it left off with her basically like him saying, "We see it a lot. It's you are alone in a time of plague <laughs> and all of like that." And then she jumps off the plane yeah. off the and train platform. Have an answer. But it, I love that. Like, well, we'll get to it. But just, you know. That, like, this is not the cold that we are expecting. Right. Yeah. Yes. All right. Ah, so ah. future asshole <laughs> comes to the rescue, right? Think for a minute. Like, think we have to. This is a Cole who has just found out that he is the demon, right? The whole thing that present Cole is going to be talking about and reading and figuring out the puzzle later in this episode, this Cole knows everything and is in the final sort of like, as we were saying before, taking the steps that he needs to to preserve Team Splinter cycle and get everybody where they need to go, right? He has just visited um, season three Cole to give him where Jennifer is in France. And now he is rescuing Jennifer here and giving Jennifer the information to go find Cole, right? Like he's preserving the Jennifer and Cole loop of it all. Um mm-hmm. And she fucking jumped in front of a a train. And when they get off, she's like, I was 30% sure that would work. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that so much. And Cole being like, could you have made that any harder? (laughs) The first time I watched her, even the first two times I watched it, like, I totally missed that she, like, made a point to look at the clock and the date and know exactly, like... So that she could give that information. Like, <laughs> right. To be like, okay, let's make sure that we get the, the, the time down right on time. Because that's... Mm. Oh, yeah. that's a good point. I had... Yeah, I hadn't taken... I had thought that, like, there was something in her mind about that day and time that seemed significant, which is why she went with it. Um, but yeah, that's a good point, Joe. Because she has to be, like, <laughs> right at this exact second because it's a fucking train. <laughs> It has Coming to be, like, it can't be too early, which would be helpful, but, like, then, um, you know, not varies would see what was happening. So she had to, like, time it exactly to where it looks like she would have been hit by the train. Right. Mm-hmm. seems precarious. Yeah. And so, I mean, so that that takes us when they go into the little room, and I love all of the... Um, like Kala virus posters that are up, right? It's like really, it's all like, I mean, obviously there's a plague that's going on, but it's just like so, all such great reminders of like how this all started, mm-hmm. you know, like how, for, at least for us as the audience, how this loop all started. Um, but she notices like this Jennifer had just spent months with Ethan um, and, and waiting with him as he fixed that vest. Um, and she, she knows who that vest belongs to. And that's how Jennifer finds out ultimately what happened to Ethan. Um, you know, this isn't yours. It is now. Um, it's really sad. Um, and the, I think Ethan always knew it was going to be a one-way trip. All he wanted to do was save you. When Cole says, well, he did. There's a lot of layer. That means a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not only like physically saving him a Titan, but I think he's also meaning like, you know, a lot of Cole's story is sort of him trying to save his own soul, right? And mm-hmm. like having faith in his son and then having that reciprocated, I think is sort of part of um, getting Cole to be the Cole, the, uh, this future asshole who's willing to do like, you know, erase himself. Um, but also, Ethan is going to be the one that tells Jones, save the one, right? <laughs> so now even on rewatch, it can mean that. Um, tell me, you know, it is great that so much of the story has been a Jennifer who knows more talking to Cole. And now this is a Cole who knows more talking to Jennifer and not being able, you know, he has to be cryptic. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me your feelings when she says, which Cole are you? And he says, the last one I'm ever going to be. <sighs> <laughs> I honestly tried not to think about it at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I want this is such a throwaway that. line, right? I mean, psh, what could it it's, mean? it doesn't uh, mean anything. Just some filler. They needed some time to fill before yeah. the break. Don't worry about it. Ah, it like <laughs> makes me want to cry. <laughs> like because he's about to uh, fucking erase himself. <laughs> like ah, that's one of those. Ah, oh, that line is a killer on rewatch. Um, but wait, wouldn't Jennifer know? Not necessarily which... Oh, right, because she's not... The Visions aren't talking to her anymore. Because I'm like, wait. She would know that he isn't actually going to... But yeah, they had to take... For this reason, they had to take it away from Jennifer. Right. Right. Because Olivia can now hear the primaries. It's so good. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what your fuck's sake is? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) These fucking guys. These... Like, oh. um, Assholes. (laughs) In a really loving, appreciative way. Yes. Um... The the thing, one of the things that I love about about this scene, and a lot of it is, um, they make a point of it with the dialogue, but also it's Emily Hampshire's performance. He, when when he's like, "Find your coal," he's looking for you. It this is such a wonderful, almost kind of redo of 302 when Jennifer was stranded in France and Jones and Cole came to find her, but she felt really like they didn't give a shit about her. And it was just about finding Cassie. And she had sort of that falling out with Jones and Cole where she really gave voice to like, you guys just use me for the stuff in my head. And I was waiting for you. And you didn't care about, you know, you're just here because I'm a tool, right? Do you guys Mm -hmm. remember that whole argument? Mm -hmm. And now... Cole is looking Cole even though he's even though he's he has chosen something that is in a like in opposition to what Cassie wanted to do and he is looking for his friend because he believes in her and the smile on her face when he says that is like makes my heart want to burst because it's like everything that she wanted the last time she was stranded on her own right is her for mm-hmm. her friends to care about her and want to find her she has a lack of faith in herself right now and and Cole is looking for her it's so i love it so much mm-hmm. um and then he says bring him a cheeseburger <laughs> <laughs> and you go to the bridge scene and poor Cole is like i'm in prague and he's like throwing the map down cuz how the hell is he supposed to find her and his future self sent Jennifer to him with a hy- <laughs> hyena burger cheeseburger <laughs> Because you know future asshole is going to remember that he got a cheeseburger. <laughs> right. 
So he's like, yeah, yeah, make sure you get him one because he's like, ooh, it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm about to erase myself, so no more cheeseburgers. Like, even the cheeseburgers are fucking Ouroboros because he already knew that he had it. (laughs) Um... Do you got tell me, do you guys have any um especially beep sort of with Jennifer along these lines? Um th- it's a great friendship scene between Jennifer and Cole, sort of by the Charles Bridge. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I love that it's a hyena burger, especially <laughs> after Todd Stashwick's explanation that he decided that was like a chain that Jennifer later opened. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we're just waiting for her to grow into her entrepreneur uh, or her next entrepreneurial venture. Her final Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's um, it's interesting. Like, I love sort of the emotional maturity of like Cole isn't angry that Cassie made a different choice. He's like, she felt like she needed to do something. You know, like it's very accepting of it. Um, he, he may never see her again. You know, for all he knows, you may never see her again. Um, and then again, it's it's really sweet. He's like, I felt like I needed to find you. And Jennifer just looks so happy. Um. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's also so sad, like about the potential insecurity that she holds, especially because of what happened in France. Because you see now, you know, even though they've the only trouble like Splinter Team has ever gotten into is when they're lying to each other. And she's like, doesn't bother to tell him that the voice is stopped. And that's because why? Because she's lost like, you know, her purpose on the team in her mind. Right. So she's like, oh, if he really just came back for me, like he's going to be super disappointed. Well, yeah, because she makes a mistake and catches herself with the tenses about the voices. Right. Right. So she is not coming clean um, about that. And and yeah, you understand why. It's because it's born of that insecurity. Um, I totally crack up, by the way, like for as well as Jennifer is like starting to come into her own. She also is making some like unbelievably hilarious errors. Like when she was like, don't forget your passport. And then she forgot her passport. And then she jumps in front of the train and she leaves the fucking Ouroboros behind. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he holds it up. and He's like, okay, I got it. And you're like, damn it. Right. Um, when they call Bonham, did you guys listen carefully to Jennifer and Cole? They're fighting about it. Like, they sound like two teenagers prank phone calling, where they're arguing over how many different bottoms they've looked up in the phone book. Uh, <laughs> um, and so then they are all at the museum. Um do you, tell me your thoughts sort of on this, like, reveal that Bonham is actually over hundreds of years a descendant of uh, Nicodemus and Chorus, the, the primary that we will see a lot more of in Demons. I mean, it was great, but then you're also just kind of like, oh, so being primary is a recessive gene. Like, you're kind of a dud. <laughs> you know? Where it's like, I mean, I guess for your mental health, it's probably a lot better uh, that you are not actually primary and seeing multiple timelines at all the time. But, like, in terms of, like, being, you know, this, like, lineage of, of great primaries, and you're like, well, I know that I'm supposed to do something. And that's all you've got. Right. I mean, it would be, yeah, it'd be crazy, right? To have your grandmother say all of this crazy shit and then it starts happening and you're like, oh, fuck. (laughs) Like, there is a plague. Um, I love the moment. I love the phrase. He quotes um, one of the first things we ever heard Jennifer say about the clock ticking, you know, like the, like the eye, like of a granddaddy clock. And she's like, you know, with the right paperwork, catchphrases can be trademarked. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 
But he's like, that's what my grandmother used to say. And then Jennifer's like, oh, well, then I like her. <laughs> because she says what I say. Um, this is another... Um, Oh, this gives us this answers a lot of question and and then again like the other parts of the episode raises a lot of episodes uh, a lot of questions like he says my grandmother was primary but then he's basically like some are working for good and some are not um and we saw it earlier in olivia's um what she witnesses we see andrews um who's a primary is going to be working for olivia um i I love the sort of the way the riddle works with like the turning of the beads. Um, it's crazy to think that like that was made in like the 1400s <laughs> or right when they're in demons. I forget what year they're in. Um, and how that is something that like Hannah passed down and he's able to figure out because it's kind of. It's kind of like this great, like, you know, this was meant for James Cole and all of that. Um, well, but it's, so yeah, not, go ahead. Not to make this about me, but <laughs> my mom also used to say bedtime for Bonzo. And so, so did mine. Happened, yeah. And so when that was said, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait. What? And, you know, obviously I am not, as far as I know, um, chosen to. So you're the dud? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, <laughs> I am the dud. Um, but no, just like, it's weird when, you know, like weird little things like rhymes or whatever that your parents would say to you. Or like, what was it like a few months ago, we were talking about this in Slack, that weird um, thing that all little kids used to do with like the crack and egg on your head. Yes. And <laughs> like the fact that like that somehow makes it out across state lines, across generations. And you're like, where do little kids hear this? Where where does this even come from? Anyway, that that <laughs> the bu- original like, internet <laughs> it, it it weirded me out uh, to hear that um, on this show. But you know, that's my mom, so funny. My mom said my, that. My mom said that to me too. And the thing is, is it is a primate reference because that's a show Ronald Reagan, a TV show with Ronald Reagan and a chimpanzee was Bonzo. Oh. I never knew where it came from. Bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a. Fantastic. Okay. Well, now I understand. Yeah. So that in of itself is a primate reference. But yeah, my mom totally would tell me, all right, bedtime for Bonzo must be a thing boomers say to their kids. (laughs) 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 Boomers. Although, I guess Matthew Cole is not a boomer. (laughs) 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 Or wait, is he? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, but. um. Yeah, it's just a wonder, like, again, that was a mystery that they left us with that was like the closing mystery of season three um, of Matthew Cole and saying this to his, like, telling the story to his son, that it comes from his mother. It's a big fucking tease that they have this whole mystery of the mother in the same episode that Olivia's leaving a baby behind, right? Like, (laughs) I came out at the end of this episode throwing a pillow. I was like, I swear to God, if Olivia is Coles' mother, I'm going to light shit on fire. (laughs) Like, (laughs) but it's just a really, you know, like, it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, everything's all coming together. And Mm -hmm. it's so great that it's all coming together. You've got one half of the episode that's all about being trapped in a cycle. And on the other hand, you have this riddle and Hannah and Hannah even knowing this riddle in and of itself is a cycle, is an Ouroboros, right? But when Cole figures it out, it literally breaks the the circle. Um, Mm -hmm. And that reveals the clue inside. 
Um, which is great because that clue, Blackleaf, um, May 11th, 1852, is obviously going to take us to where Titan is being built. Um, and there was a lot of discussion in this episode about what Titan's true purpose is and all of that. Um, and we're going to find out that Emma was – that baby was spying on both Doctors Jones. And so it's just really all the little breadcrumbs about where it's going um, and raising questions while it's also answered a ton. It's so great. Mm-hmm. I have more like – it's more I think about the type of time that is in the show all the time um, and how – you know, we always, like, try to debate whether there's, like, a higher power controlling the time because sometimes it seems like there's some kind of consciousness keeping it all together. Um, but I personally believe that it's more like when you look at, like, homeostasis and osmosis and thermodynamics and Newton's third law, everything is trying to find an e- equilibrium. So I feel like time is also trying to find its equilibrium when it gets out of whack. And that's why it feels like there's a hand behind it, but it's just trying to find its way back to zero anyways got it so just we i had mentioned earlier before i went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this song which way you going billy um which is by the poppy family from 1969 um and one Mm -hmm. of the things you know we talked a little bit sort of about the um how the sort of question about where someone's going, which is the name of the song and the chorus kind of applied to the two different times that we um, watched it or heard it played in the episode. But the history behind the song, um, Terry Jacks, who wrote it, um, he was inspired by an interview that was talking about um, soldiers leaving during the Vietnam War um, and talking about sort of their like saying goodbye to their girlfriends, wives, whatever, the women that were sort of being left behind. Um, and so I guess, in, you know, instead of writing a song about the soldiers that were leaving to go to war, he started thinking about what would it be like for the women who are being left behind Um and so that the song is written from the perspective of a woman who's being left behind. And I, sort of with like the feminist themes of this episode, I, I kind of love that the song itself has sort of like thinking about so often when we talk about a war, you're talking about the men that went off to fight it. And here's mm-hmm. an artist writing a song from the perspective of a a woman who's left behind and what must that be like for her. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, um, this, if you think about that song playing when Olivia leaves that baby behind and you think about that song for Emma and everything that we're going to learn about when Emma feels about her mother, right? Some mm-hmm. of the lyrics of the song, um, which way are you going, Billy? Can I go too? Can I go with you? I thought you loved me. Um, I can't help crying. Um, it's a really sad song about someone being left behind who doesn't sort of have the same kind of agency. And when you kind of read the lyrics of the song and it's playing with this this baby just being left behind and think about it sort of in the context of Emma's very tragic story, which in and of itself is like another cycle of Olivia doing this. Like what happened to Olivia, she's then going to do to her daughter, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of keep her in her own figurative box with you have a purpose and this is what you're supposed to do and being raised kind of by herself and by the advisor. And it's all just a fucking cycle going over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I thought it was a really, there's a lot of layers to that song and a lot of different ways to think about, it's it's a song that's all about someone's perspective of being like left behind when someone else is going to fight a war. And I think that's really interesting when you think about it from the perspective of that baby um, mm-hmm. when the song is played. And Deacon too. Right. And Deacon too. Yeah. Um, there's a lot. Both the songs they use, you know, obviously are totally period appropriate, 1969, 1971, but they're so perfect thematically, right? Like so happy together all of these characters that are miserable stuck in this loop together, (laughs) right? Like all of these characters that all have their part to play and they can make certain changes on the margin, but they are all stuck in a loop (laughs) and all stuck together, whether they're happy about it or not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Do you guys have anything else? Uh, No. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, this is it. I I don't think we'll... You guys will be back. We only have a few episodes left. So thank you so much. You guys have done so many episodes with us, like from sort of going all the way back to season one. So thank mm-hmm. you so much for talking 12 Monkeys with us. Thanks for, thanks for having us. And, uh, you know, yeah. I guess we'll, we might, we might see, see you guys on May We Geek again at some point then. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool. always a pleasure to be, to be on. So thanks for having us. Yeah. And yeah. thanks for doing all the note work. Oh my God. <laughs> I wish, I wish you all listening than, could see than this. we are on our show. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So we will be back in two weeks. We will be headed to the Wild West with Christopher Monfett, um, mm-hmm. who is, we're very excited. He is coming back to talk about, um, one of the season four episodes that he wrote, Legacy. So we out west with Elliot Jones and Oingo Boingo. So if you guys don't have anything else, then we'll see you soon.